Cody. Thank you for our praise team and choir for leading us this morning in worship. I want to invite, your, uh, invite you to open your Bible to Psalm chapter 19. Psalm 19 is where we will be today in God's Word. We're going to begin a, a new study entitled Back to the Bible. I did some research um, this week and just looking at some of Lifeway's research talking about how often people read the Bible, and uh, they asked this question uh, to uh, churchgoers, and what they found out is that less than a third of church churchgoers say that they read their Bible every day, less than one-third, and one out of nine say they rarely, if ever, even pick up a Bible, rarely, if ever, even pick up a Bible. Would you think about that for just a moment? Uh, that's that's astonishing. We could say that one out of one out of every three church members, church goers here today, on average, doesn't pick up a Bible every day, doesn't read Scripture every day, and then one out of nine of us, count the people around you, would say, "I don't read the Bible at all," and maybe that's you today. And maybe you would say, well, I've just neglected God's word. And I want to tell you that Christians fall into that from time to time. And there's no condemnation here. We're not saying that at all, that, that we're here to condemn you. But what I want to do today and what I want to begin doing for the next few weeks is encouraging you to pick up God's word on a daily basis. Now, here's the thing. And this is what I believe. I believe that prayer and fasting and reading Scripture is God's method of turning us back to Him and making us the people that He wants us to be. We will never be the people that God wants us to be, us to be if we neglect the Word of God. And so what I hope is that you will be like David was. David had a hunger for God's word. He loved God's word. And you look at it, about one out of every three Psalms that David wrote was all about how good God's word was. And so Psalm 19 is no exception, and that's where we're going to look today. But today I want you to see this truth, that the Bible is God's word for you today. Now, here's the thing. Not all of Scripture was written to you, but it was all written for you. Okay? God wrote it for you through uh, His people, through His prophets, and through those who were inspired by Him. And it's not my word, and it's not your word. I'm not standing here in the pulpit on a weekly basis proclaiming to you the word of Josh. I'm here proclaiming you to you the word of God. And every time we open up God's word, we hear him speak. I remember whenever I lived in Faraday, Louisiana, there was a Burger King in Vidalia, Louisiana, the next town over. Not in our town. Faraday didn't have much of anything at all. I think there was a a KFC and and a Sonic. I think there's pretty much some of those everywhere you go and a Subway. And so you you go to to those three things and you get tired of them eventually. So we went to Burger King one day. And this Burger King, I'm telling you, to this day, it was the worst Burger King I'd ever been to in my life. The absolute worst. They were slow. When you pull up to the, to the uh, drive-through, what do you call that thing, uh, PA thing, intercom, you pull up to it, and it goes, 
That's what it sounds like. And so you say, well, I didn't know what that was. I didn't know what you said, but I want a number one with a Coke. And they and you take that as, okay, I got your order, and you pull up. When you pull up to the window, it's got a timer on the window. Like, we're going to get your order done in this amount of time. And it's counting down the time. So they didn't get my order right, obviously, okay? So I had to repeat the order. And I finally got the order communicated at the window. And she says, can you do me a favor? Will you back up over that little strip there so my timer will reset? And then I was left with a moral dilemma. Do I lose my witness and tell her no? Or do I go ahead and back over and start over? I don't know. I'm, I'm left in this dilemma. So I finally, I, I did. I backed over and started it over for her so that her timer would reset. And then I got my order. And it was absolutely wrong. And you know, the other day, uh, my youngest son wanted McDonald's. So I went over to the McDonald's over here, and now they have this wonderful invention. At the intercom, there's a screen there. It's digital. And so as you tell the clerk, the attendant person, what you want, it pops up on the screen, and it's written out for me to read. So I don't have to try to interpret what they're saying. I can read it on the screen that they've gotten my order right. And when I got to the window, everything I wanted was there. It was like something wonderful, magical just happened. McDonald's got my order right. You know, sometimes things get lost in communication, don't they? And listen, if it were up to us to, to try to always just understand what God was saying in the moment, we would get it wrong, wouldn't we? We would misunderstand. But praise be to God, we don't have to try to figure out or worry about what God has to say to us because it's already written in His Word what He wants for you and for me. What God thinks is written in Scripture. And so we are so thankful that today, for us today, we know what God says to us, to you and me, living in June of 2022 in Pensacola, Florida. We know what God has to say. Now, here's the thing. Have you read it? I remember whenever I was in high school, Allison and I, we had a couple of classes that lined up together. But in my senior year, we only had one class together. We only got to see each other basically one time a day in high school. But we would pass by each other on the, in the hallway, and she would hand me a note. Oh, you know what I did with that note. I took that note. I looked at it. Smelled it, opened it up, read it. I, there's a box somewhere in my, well, I know where it is. There's a box in my closet. I still got all the notes that she wrote to me in high school. And she still got all the notes that I wrote to her in high school, even though you can't read any of them because they're so illegible. But she's got them. Listen, this is God's love letter to you. This is God's word for you. If you neglect it, you're neglecting 
Everything that God has for you for the day. The provision of God. And so what I hope, my prayer is that through this study, that you will develop a hunger for God's word. And then you will be satiated on a daily basis from God's word. But then the next day you'll wake up with that same driving hunger that would drive you to the word of God. I heard about a, I heard about a teacher that taught a camp that said the, that uh, the motto of the camp was no Bible, no breakfast. No Bible, no breakfast. He wanted all the kids to start out every day reading God's word. And so here we are in Psalm chapter 19. David is talking about the written word that he has, which he calls the law. And uh, he's talking about how good it is. So why don't you stand with me and let's hear. We're going to read the whole psalm together. It's not, not too long. It's only 14 verses. So let's read it together. To the choir master, a psalm of David. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. Who is he, by the way? That's the Lord. That's our God which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving its chamber like a strong man, runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I love that last uh, verse, and I I pray that verse every Sunday before I go to the pulpit. And uh, we pray it with me now to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. The writing of Scripture is a blessing to our souls. And Lord, now as we study your word, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Would you be seated, please? So as we think about this this study together, I want you to see three truths about the word of God from this passage. Three truths about God's word from Psalm 19. Number one, the Bible records the spoken words of God. 
The Bible records the spoken word of God. If you think about the, the spoken words of God, we see from the very beginning that God is a God who speaks. Our God is a God who speaks. In fact, Jeremiah later on is going to make fun of the other gods because they're idols and they have mouths, but they cannot speak. But our God is a God who speaks. And not only is he a, is he a God who speaks, he is a God who breathes out life. He, with his breath, he created the stars. Listen to Psalm 33, verse 6. David says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all their hosts. So what you think of that? God is a star breather. <laughs> he breathes out stars, and he breathes life into us. Every word of God is authoritative. Every spoken word of God is authoritative. And the Lord God said, let there be light. And there was light just with the word of his mouth. And the Bible is our record of the things that God has said. Now, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And as he did that, he spoke the heavens and the earth into being. But ever since God spoke those words, the words of God, because they're authoritative and they endure and they last forever, they've been echoing throughout all of the universe. And they're still echoing today. And because of the words of God that were spoken, the world continues to exist. Hebrews 1, verse 3, the writer of Hebrews says, he is, the, speaking of Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. Now listen to this part. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. God said, let there be light. And today, there is light because God's word is authoritative. Because every word that God says will come to be. And so when David says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, he's using the, the language of verbiage and he's saying that the heavens are still speaking about the glory of God. They are still echoing the same words that God spoke in the beginning. And he's saying that these all exist because of the word of God. And if it weren't for the spoken word of God, they never would have existed. He goes on to say, day to day, they pour out speech. Night, they reveal knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. He goes on to say that the universal knowledge of what God has done is evident on the sky, in the sky and all of creation. Everything that God has done has been written in the heavens, and the Bible records it all in words. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, he says, no one is without excuse. He says, for the evidence of the God that we cannot see is, is there, is evident on the things that we can see. That means when you look outside and you see the stars and you see the, the clouds and the moon and the sun and you see the, the birds in the air and you see the trees and you see the leaves and you feel the warmth of the sun, all of those things, as you see those things, you see the evidence of a creative God. You can't look at all of those things and think, well, all this stuff just came from nothing. 
and be honest about. Now, Paul says that we do deceive those that say there is no God. They deceive themselves about it. They lie to themselves about it because the evidence is plain to them. He says, therefore, we are without excuse. No one has an excuse. Nobody's ever, no, no creature, no human being will stand before God on the day of judgment and say, I didn't know. It's impossible. God has written it across the sky. And then those words have been recorded for us in Scripture. The Son is an example. He goes on to say, In them He has set a tent for the Son. You think about the word. The word is canopy. God's put a canopy over the earth. All of the stars and everything seem to hang above the earth. Now, David is limited in his understanding of the cosmos, and he's not trying to give us a lesson in cosmology at all, okay? But what he is doing is he's pointing us to the God who created it all. And he's saying, look to him. And he says, he set a tent for the sun. The sun hangs out up in the sky. And he says, he comes out like a bridegroom. David's understanding of the way the solar system works, the sun rose in the morning and set in the evening. And we still use that terminology today. In fact, I have an app on my phone that's about the weather, and it gives me the sunrise and the sunset every day, right? And you, but, but we understand that, uh, that the earth is revolving on its axis, right? And that's why it looks like the sun goes up and goes down. But, but for David's understanding and for our the same language that we use today, The sun comes up every day and then it sets every day. The sun comes out bright and proud like a bridegroom. It doesn't meander through the park. He says it comes out proud and it runs its course like an Iron Man champion. From one end of the sky to the other. It's bold and it's brazen. And it sets things on fire. All life comes from the sun, our source. And whatever created that thing in the sky. This is what David is getting at. Whatever created something. As bold and brazen and proud as the sun. Must be. Must be. Much greater. Now how many of you know the sun. Even though it's the center of our solar system. Is in fact it's a very small star. When you consider the universe all around us. It's a very small part of the galaxy of the of the universe our galaxy is and there's billions of other galaxies billions of other galaxies with stars that are greater than the size of our own solar system our own galaxy even now this is what they tell us i've never been there but they tell us these things and so if any god could create any of that he must be a great god he must be an amazing god and, and listen, we can, just, we can just summarize it this way. and We can think about it this way. Think with me for just a moment. When the sunbeams pierce the clouds, they shine the light of His love into a dark world. And when the birds sing with the rising sun, they compose a hymn of the faithfulness of our God. The icy mountain peaks point toward the heavens and declare the majesty of our God. The thunder and lightning display the power of our God. The rain on the roof reminds us of the provision of our God. And when the wind blows through the trees, the leaves whisper the comfort 
of the Holy Spirit of our God. When the oceans roar, they remind us of the glory of the Lord that will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And when the whales sing their songs, they testify of the mercy of God that has cast your sin and my sin on the bottom of the ocean floor. And when the brook babbles in an unknown tongue, all creation hears it in its native language about the grace of God that continually flows for his saints, you and me. The heavens declare the glory of God. Your eternal purpose is to declare the glory of your God. Every word that's inspired in Scripture is meant for you to learn and allow to penetrate into your heart so that you can become a word bearer, a bearer of God's word. So as you go out now, the spoken words of God now become your words as you go out and you say, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And even more than that, the Bible says that you, because of the word of the Lord, you became a living being. See, in that same context, the Bible says that God said, let us make man in our image. So God's having this Trinitarian council. The Holy, God the Father, God the Holy Spirit, and God the Son are agreeing together to make us. The Bible tells us where all of this comes from and where we come from. That you're not an accident. That God spoke you into being. That you, your name, your DNA, your makeup, all of those things were on the lips of God at one point in time. He spoke you into existence. And you turn over a, a new appliance that you have. You bought that thing. You got it. You brought it home. It's almost like I, this is the way men go shopping. Uh, women, women go and they and they browse and they look and they they pick it up and they look at it they hold it and feel it and then they put it back on the shelf and they move to the next thing you know men men go like they're i mean we we are the hunter gatherers okay we go to the store we know what we're going after we go down the aisle we find it we grab it we capture it we take it we bring it home we kill it and we eat it i mean that's the way men are that's the, way we, that's the way we shop. But every once in a while, I get hasty about something. I get that product, and I bring it home, and I turn it over, and I look at it, and it says, made in China. And I go, oh, man, I can't believe that. Or made in Taiwan, you know. But every once in a while, I score the jackpot whenever I turn it over, and it says, made in USA. And I'm like, yes, American made. There we go. This thing's going to last. When you flip, when you turn over the world and you look at it, at the sticker on the underside of it, it says, made by the word of the Lord. St. Augustine said, men go abroad to wonder at the heights of mountains, at the huge waves of the sea, at the long courses of the rivers, at the vast compass of the ocean, at the circular motion of the stars, and they pass by themselves without wondering. You and I are evidence 
of the spoken word of God. The Bible contains those words. What a treasure it is. The Bible contains the spoken word of God. But I want to tell you secondly, the Bible preserves the written words of God. The written words that God specifically gave to men and women and said, write these things down. God inspired these men and carried them along. And as they wrote, their hand was moved by the Spirit of God. And they wrote out the words of life that God has for you and me today. For David, in his context, David is actually inspired by God. Even as he is writing the words of Psalm 19, reflecting back upon the Bible that was written in his day. In his day, it was really simply the Pentateuch or the Torah, the first five books, the law. That's what he had. And as he's writing, he's writing more of Scripture. They had some of the Chronicles, but he's living through the Chronicles of Israel during that time period. And so David is living in Scripture as he's writing about Scripture. And as he's doing so, the Spirit of God is giving him the words to say, And so that portion of the scripture that we have is called the law. And David says, the law of the Lord is perfect. He uses six phrases to describe the nature of the Bible that he had. You know, there are 66 books in the Bible that we have written by 35 inspired authors authors over a period of 1,500 years. There are 929 chapters in the Old Testament, and there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. This gives us a total of 1,189 chapters in the Bible. There are 31,173 verses in the Bible. And as the rabbis began to look at the Old Testament, they found out that there are 613 commands of God in the Old Testament. And then scholars have looked and and, and gone through the New Testament and found out that there's about 800 commands in the New Testament. And these commands are instructive for your life. These are what God wants you to, to do, and this is what God wants you to live, the way God wants you to live your life. Not necessarily to you, but for you and for your instruction. Others have searched and the scriptures and found that the Bible contains no less than 7,487 promises for you and for me. And now these are the promises of God. Now, there are more promises in scripture from people to God and from people to other people. But from God to his people, there are no less than 7,487 verses that contain promises of God for you. Did you know that? 7,000. God's made a lot of promises, hasn't he? But can I tell you this? God intends to keep every one of his promises. And not one, not one of his promises will fail, ever. But you can live your life totally unaware of these heard what Charles Spurgeon had to say about the promises of God, and he said, every promise of Scripture is a writing of God which may be pleaded before him with, his reason, with this reasonable request. Do as thou hast said. The Heavenly Father will not break his word to his own child. 
testing it. David says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The word is Torah and it means way. And he says it is perfect, it is complete. It contains everything that we need to know about how we are to have a right relationship with God and how to walk with God. And because it is perfect, we can have revival for the soul because he says it's reviving the soul. Our souls get weary and tired, don't they? And they need revival. Well, where are you going to go to find the revival for your soul that you need so desperately? Can I tell you, if you get back to the Bible, God will take care of reviving your soul. I think so, so often we get depressed and so much depression could be cured simply if we took the promises of Scripture and we just believed what God said in His Word. It revives our soul. And then he says the testimony of the Lord is sure. That's the second word that he uses. Testimony. It's God's decrees about the world that we live in. He says it's sure, meaning you can trust it. You know what God says is true. And we can have wisdom from living because of it. When God, see, here's the thing. When God gives you scripture, what he's given you is perspective on the world around you. And he say, listen, if you will see it from my eyes, then you'll see it the right way. You'll have wisdom for living. And if you want God's take on things, how he sees the world today. I mean, we can listen to commentators all day long. All you got to do is turn on the television on one of the news and you're just going to get in that spin cycle and it's going to go round and round and round. And you're going to hear what everybody else has to say about the world. But if you want to know what God has to say and you want to have the right perspective, go to his word and read his word. Listen, don't go to the commentators. Don't go to them and try to get perspective. Go to God's word to get perspective on the world. The testimony. Of God is true, is sure. His precepts, his moral laws, how to treat others, they are right, they're correct, not false in any way. It lead, they lead us in the correct direction. My mother-in-law, bless her heart, gives the worst directions of any person on the planet. If you don't want to end up where you're intending to go, just ask her how to get there. Because you won't get there. I, I remember getting directions from her uh, about how to get to a family reunion one time. And, and I ended up 10 miles and 30 minutes away from where I was supposed to be. All because she forgot one turn that I was supposed to make. But it was a pretty important turn. And she totally left it out of the directions. And it took us forever to figure out where we went wrong. And this was before the days of GPS and all that good stuff. But the Bible will never lead you off course. And as a, as a result, you will have the joy of the Lord. You will arrive at where you want to be, and that will produce joy in your life. And then he calls it the commandment. And he says the commandment of the Lord is pure. There's no impurities. The word refers to refined, precious metals that, that are bright and shiny. Did you know that gold in its purest form, is actually transparent. It really is. And some people say, oh, that's absurd. Gold is like a, a golden color, right? It's a yellowish color. But it's actually truly transparent. And in the book of Revelation, John talks about transparent gold that is so pure that it's transparent in heaven. He talks about that in heaven. But one modern example of that is that 
they actually put a thin layer of gold on the astronauts' helmets so that whenever they step out, without the atmosphere between them and the sun, the sun's radiation won't fry their eyes. And so they, they actually have a layer of gold over those helmets. Really, they truly do. And, and so the Bible is accurate whenever it says that the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. That word really talks about refined metal and how it enlightens the eyes. You can see clearly through it. The, the Bible is the lens that we should see our lives through, and not just those around us and the world around us, but even our own lives. That we should view our life through the words of Scripture. That is the written word of God for you, so that you can know what God says for your life, and so now you can see your life, and how does it measure up to what God says? And your eyes will be enlightened. You have a clear perspective. And then he talks about the fear of the Lord. And he says the fear of the Lord is clean and it's similar to pure. Usually in the Bible, the word fear, the fear of the Lord, talks about our reverence for God. But here it's talking about how we should reverence God correctly and what God says in his word and his written word and his commandments about how to live a life of reverence before him. Basically how to worship the Lord. He says if we'll do that, it's clean, and what will result out of that life of, of cleanliness is that we will know that that word will stand forever and our worship will mean something and it will never decay and those who abide by the word of the Lord will live forever. That he will accept us into his holy presence. Then he uses the word rules. Notice, uh, point to, points you to that in the right here in the scripture again. Verse 9, the rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. True and righteous altogether. There is no falsehood or error. God's not going to lie to you. Everything that's written in Scripture is true. You can believe it. You can stand on it. You can build your life upon it. And not worry about it being a faulty foundation. Listen, you can build your life upon riches. You can build your life on fame. You can build your life on family. And all of those foundations will eventually crack and crumble. But if you build your life on the word of God, that foundation will never fail. And he goes on to say that the word of God is desirable. It's more desirable than gold, much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb thought about how sweet honey is. You know how sweet honey is? Honey is so sweet that my doctor says I can't eat it. That's how sweet it is. That it elevates my sugar. <laughs> but I love it. And the Bible talks about honey. And, you know, they didn't have Snickers bars in David's day. But they did have honey. And the sweetest thing that David could think of is honey. They didn't have refined sugar. They want to make something sweet, they put honey on it. And David says, listen, the word of the Lord is sweeter than honey. It's better than gold. I wonder if that's the same sense and understanding that you have every time you pick up God's word. I think sometimes 
for those of us who are away from the Word of God. We think it's going to be drudgery to go pick it up. Oh, i got to go read my Bible. Can I tell you, for someone, from someone who loves to read the Word, and I read it daily, from someone who feels that way about it, I love the Word of God. And I want the Word of God. I long for more time in the Word of God. But I have to make appointments with a lot of you people. I'm just kidding. I love seeing you too. But man, if I could just do one thing and do one thing only, it would just spend it all day long in God's Word. I love it. And the more I read Scripture, the more I love Scripture, and the more I want Scripture. I can never be satisfied because I need it more and more and more. And that's why David, David says it's, it's like gold. It's to be desired. It's like honey. It's to be, you know, crave it. And then verse 11, moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And he says, listen, keep me from going down the wrong way. And if I do what Scripture says then I'll be blessed. But then he gets to verse 12. And, and it's like it's like he took a hard left at 90 miles an hour and everybody got flung into the windshield or in, onto the side of the car. It's like, what happened, David? I mean, because we were talking about the word and then all of a sudden you get to verse 12 and he says, who can discern his heirs? What is he talking about? What he's talking about is when David begins to measure his life by the Word of God. And he begins to look at the Word of God and he says, yes, the Word of the Lord is, is perfect and it's sure and it's right and it's pure and it's clean and it's true and it's desirable and, and, and I'm warned by it and there's great reward in keeping it. I still mess up. I don't measure up to God's Word. In fact, I break God's word. But David says, no, 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 I don't want to do that. So then he says, declare me innocent from hidden faults, Lord. In other words, don't let there be anything in me that's not of your word. God, don't let me sin. I don't want to break your word, he says. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Look, look. Don't, don't let there be hidden sins in me, sins I know about, but I'm hiding them from you. Lord, don't let there be sins of presumption, like I just thought something, but it wasn't true of you. Lord, don't let me sin in that way. Let them not have dominion over me. Lord, don't let my sin ruin me and rule me. And he says, if you'll do that, then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Keep me from sinning, Lord. Now, as we think about this, I want to share with you the last point. Not only does Scripture record the spoken word of God, not only does Scripture contain the written words of God, Scripture, the Bible, reveals the incarnate word of God. See, for David, to be declared innocent and blameless. And for David to be acceptable in the sight of God, it meant that his sin had to be blotted out. Now, David 
didn't know the name of Jesus as he's writing Psalm 19, but what David did know is that God is a loving, merciful, forgiving God. And that one day he would, he would make a way for David's sins to be forgiven. David's humble response to the awesomeness of God recorded, uh, the awesomeness of God that's recorded in Scripture put David on his knees. David said, I can't do this. I, I'm, I'm going to sin. David affirms the goodness of God's word, but then he acknowledges the, the fact that he's a sinner. And then he looks forward to the forgiveness and the grace of God. Now, in the New Testament, we hear these words in the opening chapter of John's gospel. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. In Matthew's gospel, when Jesus had finished doing his uh, preaching, his sermon on the mount, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. And in verse 29, it says, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. In other words, he was speaking the word of God. He was living the word of God. John 7, 46. They, they wanted to arrest Jesus and the officers had been sent out to arrest Jesus and then they sat and they listened to Jesus waiting for the right opportunity and when Jesus got finished speaking, they couldn't arrest him. They just didn't feel like they could go and arrest this man because his words had so much life in them. And when they questioned the officers, why didn't you arrest Jesus? Listen to their response. The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. He's totally unique. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 1 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus was preexistent as the Word of God. But in the first century, the Word of God became flesh. Revelation 19 and verse 13. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. Not only did the Word become flesh, but that flesh went to the cross. The word wearing a robe dipped in blood, the robe that's dipped in blood signifies the death that he died. The reason that his robe is dipped in blood is because David's sin was confessed and then it was put, placed upon Jesus. Your sin, if you've confessed it and you've given it to the Lord, it's been placed upon Jesus. He took that sin for you and me. And he died on the cross. He poured out his blood for you and me. Innocent, righteous. See, he's the only one that these words are true of, that David wrote prophetically about the Lord without even knowing, said, declare me innocent. from hidden fault. The only person who is ever innocent from hidden faults is Jesus. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. The only person who never had any presumptuous sin in his life was Jesus. Let them not have dominion over me. The only person who had total dominion over his own flesh was Jesus. 
The only person who was ever blameless. The only person who was innocent. The only person who never had great transgression was Jesus. And he died for you and me. And this book tells us. This book tells us if we confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe it in our heart and we believe that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. you neglect this book you neglect the only hope for salvation that God's ever provided I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes I'll ask you have you heard and heeded the word of scripture today do you believe not Brother Joshua's word, but God's word and what he says about you. And that you are a sinner and you need a savior. Have you given your life to Jesus? If you've never done that, I want to give you the opportunity today to believe the word of God, to stand on the word of God, to put your life in the hands of Jesus and say, Jesus, save me a sinner. You can do that and you can have salvation. You can be numbered among the saints and have a home in heaven for eternity and you can have purpose as you walk in this world. And He will guide you. You take up the Bible every day, you pray, you listen to His Spirit revealing Scripture to you, illuminating your path. You will have perfect peace as you walk through a world of chaos. And you'll have purpose in your walk. You can have all of that today. And it begins by putting your life in the hands of Jesus. Beginning a relationship with Him through faith. So with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want to lead you in a prayer. It's a simple prayer. It's your confession to the Lord. If you mean it with all your heart, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you I am a sinner. Lord, I'm just like David. Help me to discern my error today. And I confess it to you. Even though I deserve the penalty for my sin, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. He took my penalty. And He paid for my sin. So I ask you to forgive me now for all my sins, past, present, and future. Give me a new life. Give me eternity with you in heaven. In the meantime, I'll live for you. You are the Lord of my life. Thank you, Jesus, for my salvation. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me? If you prayed that prayer, and you meant that with all of your heart, the Lord Jesus has heard that prayer. And he's saying, this one is mine. He saved you from your sin. He's given you new life. And he's given you a family of faith. We want to welcome you and receive you and rejoice over what Jesus has done for you.
So this is your invitation to come and profess your faith in Jesus to everyone around you and find a family and be encouraged. If you're coming today to join Myrtle Grove Baptist Church as your family of faith, we welcome you now. This is your invitation as well. If you need prayer, you just come. Our prayer counselors are coming. Let's sing together. They'll come to the altar.